Generosity. What is it? Is it when you give money to those in need? When you donate your clothes to the Salvation Army? When you give to the church? Or can it be smaller? Simpler? Like when you pick up your brother from the bar on a weeknight? When you surprise a friend at the airport? When you feed someone's cat while they're on vacation? When you bake a cake for your roommate? When you leave the last donut for your husband? maybe his doctor would say it's more generous to remove the temptation. Where does generosity come from? From what does it overflow? Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Northridge Church. My name's Aaron Hickson. I'm our Henrietta campus pastor, and we're glad that you're here. No matter where you're joining us from and any of our four Rochester area campuses or online, we're glad that you're here and we're excited that we get to be together. And as we're jumping into this morning, I just want to say how amazing it was last Sunday to see 120 people go public with their faith. I'm still riding high. It was an amazing experience across all of our campuses and just incredible to be together as a family. And I want you to know that you played a part in that whether you were handing out shirts or high-fiving, clapping, taking photos, or just being in the room, being excited and singing out and celebrating with those people. It was, it was one that we will remember for years to come. So thank you for being part of that last week. We'll have a chance to think about that uh, last week a little more later in our service. But <clears throat> this morning, we are beginning a series on generosity. And so before you get defensive, I just want to say this is probably not going to be what you're expecting, all right? This is not just another series on money. We're not going to be building a building. We're not launching any campuses. We're not going to be taking a special offering. Uh, We're not really even talking about generosity just related to money. We're talking about it in any area of our life where we choose to put other people ahead of our own desire. So I just want to get that out there right now. You don't have to be nervous. This series is going to take us through Easter, and we're going to be talking about generosity. And the goal of this series is to prove that what the Bible says about generosity is true. Well, what does the Bible say about generosity? Well, the Bible quotes Jesus as saying this. In Acts chapter 20, verse 35, it says this. Jesus says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And you might have heard that before, maybe around Christmas time. It kind of sounds like a proverb. Um, You might not have even known it was from the Bible. But it is. Jesus said it. And um, I think this is a, a way to summarize that in kind of a simplistic formula is this, that giving is better than getting. Giving is greater than getting. That's kind of the summary statement of that, of that quote from the Bible. And this series is going to be all about proving that that statement is the absolute truth. How are we going to prove that? Well, we're not going to do it through science or psychological studies or historical analysis or anything like that. Instead, we are going to be giving our whole chance, our whole church, excuse me, a chance to experience what generosity looks like and what it feels like. And as we do that, I'm convinced that you will personally feel and come to personally believe in the power of generosity. And we're going to be doing this, trying to prove it to our church in a very specific way. 
We're gonna be taking some of the money that we set aside as a church every year uh, to give away to various needs, and we're gonna be using some of those funds each week of this series to experience generosity. The budget we'll be using, uh, it's called the Dollar Fund. You might have heard about us talk about this before. And that's that we have a budget where we set aside $1 for every person who sits in a seat in any of our auditoriums on a Sunday morning. We set aside a dollar representing that person for our whole year. And then we use those funds to strategically and in a timely way give to needs that we see arise kind of outside and above our normal generosity. Um, And we'll be using those funds uniquely over the next three weeks to give our church a chance to feel what generosity feels like. And that's the goal. We want in doing that to prove the truth that giving is better than getting. That's our goal um, throughout this series. But as we jump into today's topic, I just want to ask a question that's going to kind of frame what we talk about, and that's this question. How in the world do I become a generous person? How do we do that? Because if you're anything like me, giving stuff away is not going to come easily, all right? Thinking about other people and what they want above what I want is not my first thought in the morning. It's not even like my 10th thought in the morning, Okay, I'm not saying I'm proud of it. I'm just saying that on average, if it's mine, I want it to stay mine and I plan to keep it that way. Okay, this is how things work. But God has blessed my family with the opportunity to experience generosity from other people in some really significant ways. Um, people have given us you know, appliances. We got a bunch of wedding shower gifts after we got married. In fact, when we first got married, I wasn't really sure you know, what giving felt like, but I knew getting felt pretty good. So that's kind of what was going on. It felt like people were just showering us with stuff. And you have to, that sort of sets the context for the story that I'm about to tell you, which is going to reveal what a terrible person I am. Um, we had been very, and are, have been very blessed by generous people, and this story makes me look terrible. So here we go. Lauren and I came to Northridge two months into being married. So we were brand new, came here to be, become the youth pastor, and we didn't have a lot of stuff, of course. We had just been married a few months, and people blessed us in a big way, including we were given a dining room table. That was a big deal. We needed that. And then we went to get some furniture and we went on Craigslist and we got a couch, a love seat, and a coffee table on Craigslist for $250. Feeling pretty good about that. Love some Craigslist. Um, And they were in really good shape. They were microfiber, very new couches. And the people had listed them on Craigslist for a lot more expensive. And then when we got there, they were, I think they were feeling bad, like, oh, it's this young, nice couple, like, we should give them a deal. So they cut us, like, a really good deal to, like, help us get started. Hashtag blessed, you know? So we used that table, the, the dining room table. We used those couches and that, that coffee table for, like, three or four years, And we found eventually when we moved into our home that it didn't quite fit the space. So we used it for a little while, but eventually felt like it was time to move on to new furniture. And so naturally, as a really nice guy who had been super blessed by a bunch of people in my life, giving me furniture, selling it to me at a great rate, I naturally gave it away to a family in need that could use a hand up, right? No, that is not at all what I did. I put those couches back on Craigslist for $400, $150 more than I bought them for without the coffee table that came with them. And I put the dining room table, which we had received for free, on Craigslist for over $100. And it all sold in two days. 
We, sold, we used that furniture for well over three years, got, kept the coffee table for ourselves, and still made over $250, and I didn't even feel bad about it. What kind of a jerk is given free stuff or stuff at a discounted rate and then sells it for top dollar back to other people? I'm just not a generous person, okay? Good, please, I need the judgment right now. I need the judgment. I'm broken. Anybody here can relate? I don't know. Maybe not. But to be honest, like I said, I didn't even feel bad. I felt like I should be the next shark on Shark Tank. Like, <laughs> just, I was feeling good. <laughs> But I th- you know, obviously that's a, that's a terrible example from my own life, but we all have a tendency, I think, to want to protect our own stuff. And maybe you find yourself there today. Money's a little tight, and so giving it away is painful, the idea of that. Or if you, you, know, you have a chance to be generous with your time or the skills that you've developed, and when, when the opportunity comes, you assess what it's gonna cost you or you're gonna have to give, and it's like, uh, maybe I'll pass. And you say no. And we say we live for ourselves over and over and over again. And eventually, generosity feels like a distant concept. It's like an unachievable ideal. And now, I don't think any of us would ever be so crazy as to say that gener- we don't think generosity matters. We're all, we all know we're supposed to think that generosity is a good thing. But a lifestyle of generosity, that basically seems impossible, Right? Because we get really comfortable in whatever threshold of generosity we're living in. Whatever percent we're regularly giving or however many hours we regularly volunteer or whatever, we sort of think like, this has to be the max. Like, I can't possibly give more than this, right? I need some me time at some point. And so even if we could say that giving is better than getting at like some biblical philosophical level, we can all agree that getting is easier than giving, right? It just seems like that's wired into who we are. So how do we change our very nature? How do we get to a place where we don't just think it's better to give than to receive? We actually do that. Like, how do we become generous people? How does someone get to the point where they would willingly give away their money or their time or their skills to help others? Well, I love that this morning we can turn in the Bible to see the answer to that question. The Bible's full of answers to questions, and this one, it has a great answer, one that might be different than what you're expecting. So if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, that's where we're going to be this morning in God's Word. That's on page 787. If you want to use one of the Bibles that we provide, that's great. Any way you access the Bible, we would love to have you join us in Matthew chapter 6, where we're going to spend our time. And actually, where we're jumping in this morning It's actually, it's in the middle of a sermon from Jesus himself. Matthew 5 through 7 is a sermon, and we're jumping right in the middle. And in this sermon, he's basically just dismembering the status quo. That's what he's doing this whole time. He's showing people what following him is going to look like, and it looked nothing like what people were expecting. This sermon has more mind-blown moments than like the top 10 TED Talks combined. Seriously, it's unbelievable. And he gets talking about money in the middle here, and it's really interesting. Let's see what he says, Matthew 6, verse 21. Jesus says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, so he's talking about money, right? Don't get tripped up on the treasure thing. He's just describing stuff, money, using that term kind of in a summary way. And he makes a point that I think is incredibly profound and that matters a lot. It matters hugely for our conversation about generosity. Jesus, in this statement, he ties together money and our hearts. That's what he's doing. He's drawing attention to the fact that there's a direct correlation between where our money collects and where our hearts focus. That's the point he's making. He's saying where you find one is where you will find the other. Um, I don't know if you, like I did, I don't know if you had a, like a buddy in middle school or at some point in your life where you were like really close with them and it seemed like you were inseparable. You were always together. I did, I had a buddy in middle school like that, and my mom, if she ever didn't know where I was, it was a safe bet she could call my buddy's mom and ask her if she knew where her son was, because if she knew where her son was, my mom probably then knew where I was. We were inseparable. If you found one, you found the other. And I think that's basically the point that Jesus is making about money in our hearts. They function the same way. Where you find your heart is where you'll find your money. Our investments reveal our heart's desires and our heart's desires drive our investments. Jesus is saying, look, if you follow the money, you'll find the heart. If you follow the money, you will find the heart. Because throughout this entire sermon, if you read the whole thing and I encourage you to, Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus is just over and over and over trying to show his audience that there is more to their behavior than just what's on the outside. He's trying to reveal the spiritual dynamic, like the heart deep level influences and the roots of our behaviors. Because when it comes to money and our relationship with it, it's not just about what your habits are and what your budget says. This is a heart issue. And Jesus makes it unavoidably clear. Your relationship with money is the product of what's going on in your heart. And if you want to know what your heart values, what your heart desires, what your heart pursues, if you're not sure, just take a quick look at your spending. It'll tell you. I would say check your checkbook, but I don't know what that is. Um, Apparently it was an ancient form of money transacting. I don't know. But um, if you follow your heart, you will find your, if you follow your money, you will find your heart and your heart's desires. I pictured that joke going better, by the way. Um, there's a lot of millennials like, no, seriously, I don't know what a checkbook is. Um, anyway, what does, what does this have to do with generosity? If we're saying money and heart are tied together, what, what does this have to do with generosity? Well, I think it completely changes the conversation. It changes the game. Because instead of us having to figure out a series of behaviors that will somehow transform us into generous people, instead of just throwing our money in a different direction than we were previously throwing our money, we're gonna have to change something fundamental in our hearts if we're gonna change our relationship with money and generosity and with stuff. If our heart is the main driver behind our money and our spending habits, then we have to change our hearts before we can change how we spend. And I think that right there, that holds the connection to generosity. What this means for us is that generosity doesn't start with what you have. It starts with what you want. Generosity doesn't start with what you have. It starts with what you want. Most people, we think that generosity comes from the overflow of what's in our bank account. We think we have to have a lot before we can give a lot. 
But what Jesus is doing in tying our money and our hearts together is saying that generosity comes from the overflow, not of our bank accounts, but of our hearts. What we want and what we want to accomplish will drive what we are willing to give. So if we're not generous people, but we want to become generous people, we have to assess something very seriously. We have to ask this question. We have to ask, what is it that I truly want? In my everyday decisions, in my life, what am I hoping to achieve or accomplish or gain sort of in the big picture of everything? We have to ask that question and we have to say, where we're spending our money is gonna be a really good indicator of what it is that we truly desire, what our heart wants. But it's not just our money. You could ask that same question about our time or our energy or our passions. Because answering the question, what do I want, is basically exactly the same as answering the question, where am I invested? Whether that's emotionally or physically or financially, it's the same question. And for most of us, that journey of discovery is probably not gonna be very pleasant. But if we want to become generous people, we have to take that trip. If we wanna honor God in this area, we have to be willing to follow the money no matter what it tells us about what's going on in our hearts. Because we will find our hearts at the end of our money. And our hearts are what God is after. That is what he wants to change, to allow us to become generous people. Changing our heart is the key to success here. But I think that it's legitimate to ask at this moment, are we kidding ourselves? Like, can we really change our true natures? Humans are selfish. I mean, we want what we want. Can we really go from wanting to like have and to hoard and to keep to becoming people who want to give and serve and help? I mean, I think that's a legitimate question for us to ask. Remember, we already said earlier that getting is way easier than giving. We already said that. We have to acknowledge that reality. We want to believe that giving is better than getting, but that's not practically the easy route. It's always easier to get. It's always easier to invest our money in something that has big potential returns for me, for myself, and for I, right? But what if I told you that the investment with the best returns for you personally is found through investing in something other than yourself? Let me show you. Check out what Jesus says just two verses earlier in Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because that's where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So Jesus here, he becomes an investment advisor. He puts on his financial planner hat and he starts to tell his audience what a bad investment looks like. Well, what's the nature of a bad investment? Even in our day today, what's the nature of a bad investment? Well, a bad investment is high risk and low return. High risk, low return. If something has the potential to cost you big without the possibility of paying you back big, well, then that's the definition of a bad investment, right? And that's exactly how Jesus defines investments focused here on earth. What is an investment focused here on earth? Well, what he means is investing in your best life now, investing in your house all the way, investing in your cars, in your 401k, in your vacation homes, in your fashion. Jesus says, that stuff is a terrible investment. Why? 
Well, because that stuff's on its way out. It's depreciating like crazy. Moths and vermin destroy it. It can be stolen so easy. Investing your life, your money, your talents, your passion into stuff that's just bound to this earth and to this life, that's a horrendous investment. I mean, it doesn't mean that you can't have a house. It doesn't mean that you can't plan for your retirement or that you can't drive a car, or that you can't have any nice things. But sinking yourself into that because you think it's what your heart wants, because that was what your heart thinks is going to pay you back, is actually a terrible way to get what your heart truly wants. That's the opposite of what we think. Because we buy nice houses and cars and vacations and clothes and jewelry because we think that's an investment that feels like it's coming back to me. But Jesus is saying, look, that's actually costing you. You're losing money as you invest in your best life now. If you truly want what's best for you, Jesus says there's a better way. If you want what's best for you long term, there's a better investment. There's a better investment for your por portfolio. What does Jesus say it is? Look at the next verse, Matthew 6, 20. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Did you catch that? Read it again. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For yourselves. Store up treasure for yourselves. The best way for you to get a good return on your investment, the best possible retirement plan that will gain compound interest, that will outperform the market every year from now until eternity, is an investment not in this life, but in heaven, in eternity, in the next life. Jesus doesn't say, notice this, he doesn't say, store up treasures for the food bank. He doesn't say, store up treasures for your favorite charity. He says, AKA commands, advises, requires that you store up treasure for yourself. It's the opposite of an altruistic motivation. That's what's going on here. Jesus is actually banking on the fact that you would rather get than give. That's what he's saying. He's saying that the best place for you to store up your nest egg is in a place where nothing can put your investment at risk. It's the best possible kind of investment. It has an impossibly low risk with an impossibly high reward. You can't touch it. Moths and vermin do not destroy. These do not break in and steal. I mean, think about this. If you were a hedge fund manager and you stumbled upon a stock that was 100% guaranteed high performing and 100% stable and you passed it up while the price was low, you might as well quit now because you're about to get fired or you're terrible at your job. Okay? And that's what Jesus is saying about investing in eternity. It is low risk. Nothing can touch it. Moths and vermin don't destroy. Thieves don't break in and steal. And it's guaranteed to pay off. It's the best possible investment. What he's saying is the investment that has the best return for you is an investment in something other than you. Think about the implications of that. The, best in, the investment that has the best return for you personally is investing in something other than you. Can we believe that? Jesus, banking on the fact that we as humans would rather get than give, set it up such that if we give now, we will end up getting more than we could ever possibly hope for. Generosity now actually results in riches for me later. That's amazing. If becoming generous requires us 
to make a heart level change, then the heart level change that we can make is to come to believe that the best return on any investment we could ever make comes in investing in something other than ourselves. Okay, you might be saying, great, I'm in. Like, who doesn't want a good return on their investment? You sold me, how do I, like, where do I sign? How do I start storing up treasures in heaven? Sounds kind of cool, also sounds kind of vague, so I'm not really sure where to begin. Give me some behaviors. What's something I could start doing? And I would say that the answer to that is actually a lot simpler than you think. The answer is just give to God. Give to God. That's all you have to do. Your time, your money, your energy, your passions. If you want to invest in eternity, then just give to God. That's it. I believe that's right. It's the right sentiment. It's a correct principle. But the problem comes when we realize that God doesn't need money. He doesn't have a bank account. He doesn't have PayPal. He doesn't have a car that you could like change the brakes on for him. He doesn't have kids that you could watch so that he could have a date night. Like that's not, God doesn't actually have any needs at all whatsoever. And so how do we give to him? Like we're kind of in this tough situation where we're supposed to give, but he actually has nothing that we could give that he needs. So I wanna suggest that if we're gonna give to God that we should take our cues from God himself. In other words, I think we should invest where God has invested. Invest where God's already, where has God invested? We need to invest in people. Invest where God has invested. Because there is so little in our world that's gonna last forever. And I get it, You're not, you might not be sure what you believe about the next life or eternity or what happens after death or whatever, and I get that. But let's just assume for a moment that what the Bible says about eternity and the next life is true. Let's just operate on that assumption for a minute. If we do, then I would encourage you to look around right now, whatever room you're in, wherever you are at any of our campuses or online, look around and think about what is it that's going to be here for the rest of eternity. Try to pick out some things that you think might be around. And I just have to tell you, the only thing that you can see right now that will be guaranteed to be around for the rest of eternity is the person sitting on your right, sitting on your left, in front of you, behind you, the people nearby. People last for eternity. So if you're doing your best to find something to invest in that's going to be around for eternity, that's what Jesus said is a good investment. If you can't invest in God because he doesn't need anything, then your options become super limited. Like as in you only have one option, it's people. And God, as I said, he set the tone for this by giving the ultimate investment in people. Look at this in John 3, 16, potentially the most famous verse in the Bible. It says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever, meaning whatever person believes in him, shall not perish but have eternal life, eternity. He's investing in people lasting for eternity. God took his most valuable resource, his son, and he spent him, invested him out of love on us. Now, he did it for his own glory. He did it to fulfill his own plan. But the point remains, Jesus' death was for us, for people. God spent everything on people. His love for us that we did not deserve drove him to invest in us in a way that we could not ever repay. And that's the example. That's the tone he sets for humanity in regards to generosity. It's an ultimate gift 
out of love for people. And so for us, it actually ends up being really simple. We follow God's example. We love others out of love for God. You love others out of the overflow of your love for God. Because that's what he did for us. And that's what he says will enable you to pile up treasure in heaven. Generosity doesn't start with what you have. It starts with what you want. It starts with what you love. It starts with your heart. And God's love was poured out on people in a magnificent way. And so we love to be generous toward people and to love people out of love for God, knowing that an investment in people is an investment in eternity. And investments in eternity are the investments that have the best return for us. Somehow, God set up this system to always benefit us long-term. How incredibly kind of him. How incredibly generous of him. Our obedience pays us back. And I get that that might sound selfish, um, and it does a little bit, but if you think it sounds selfish and you're struggling with it, then I'd recommend that you talk to Jesus. Because guess why he endured the cross? In Hebrews 12, 2, it says this. Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured the cross for the payout at the end, for the joy of pleasing his Father, for the joy of reconciling the world to himself, for the joy of receiving the glory that he was deserving of at the right hand of the throne of God. He made the hardest investment ever, knowing that it had the best payout ever. So we need to follow that example. If we want to invest in eternity, we do invest where God invested. And that's in people. And as a church, we want to take that seriously. We want to take that very seriously. We want to be crazy invested in people to the point that it doesn't even make sense. Investing in them to come to a place where they will put their faith in Christ for eternity and also invest in improving their lives here and now. Every dime that we receive as a church, we want to be focused on that. And I think, as a word of advice, that you should not, every dime that you give away from your hard-earned money ought to go toward a cause like this. Impacting people for eternity, and most importantly for eternity, I would say don't give away dollars that don't impact people because you won't see that kind of investment come back. Invest your dollars in impacting people, ideally impacting them to come to a place where they believe in the truth of the gospel. And I think that the local church is a great way to make that kind of investment. But also, secondarily, by improving the condition of life for other humans that God loves on this planet, in this earth right now. And that's what we want to be about as a church, giving and giving and giving and giving and giving towards people because an investment toward people is an investment in eternity. And God set it up so that giving always ends up being better than getting. But we know, look, as a church, we know that we aren't the only people who help people. We don't, we don't have a corner in the market of that. We think the church has a very unique God-given role when it comes to helping, especially as it relates to their salvation, but we want to recognize that there are a lot of people who are investing in people every day through their jobs, and we value that. We do. 
Not, not all of these jobs are spiritually focused per se, but they improve the condition of life for people on earth. They selflessly enable us to enjoy the life that God has made for us, and they keep us safe, many of them at great personal risk every day. And as a church, we just wanna say that we value people who serve people. Of course, that's our priority. We value people who serve people, no matter what field that looks like. So this week, we wanna show that. Remember, our goal in this series is to prove that giving is better than getting, to, receive, to as a church experience emotionally and personally what generosity feels like to the place that we believe it in our hearts that we wanna do it. And we don't wanna just say that, we want to do it. We want to demonstrate generosity. So I told you you'd have a chance to experience what it feels like as a church. And so here is our first opportunity to do that in this series. Check out this video. Generosity can be a tough topic. And I wanna to thank Aaron Hickson for starting our series called Overflow, where he began the discussion of where generosity starts, your heart. And it's easy to buy into that lie that the church is all about money. Because when we think of that word generosity, we immediately become afraid. What do they want from me? And how much do they want me to give? And we wanna begin by changing that perspective through this series by modeling what generosity looks like and how it makes people feel. We wanna honor some people who have been generous, who have placed their life on the line. So if you're here today and you have served in our military, you're a veteran or you're currently serving in our military, or you're a first responder, a police officer, an EMT, a firefighter, would you go ahead and please stand? And come on church, let's go crazy for these individuals. Come on, let's celebrate them. Let's go wild, come on church. And we just wanna honor them. We wanna say thank you for all that they have given and sacrificed. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat. And today we have a gift for you. We wanna say thank you for all that you've given. And this gift looks something like this. Right here we have for you two movie tickets, a chance for you to take your spouse, one of your kids, a close friend, and just relax, have a day off. We also have some candy that you can chow down after church if you'd like, or you can take it with you to the movie theater. But we also have a gift card, about $30 worth of goods. Maybe you wanna buy uh, another movie ticket or two for your kids or your family. Or you just wanna get some good old fashioned buttery popcorn or a soft pretzel, whatever you decide. But today we just wanna give you a small gift to say thank you for all that you have given for us, for our community, and for our country. And you can get this gift at all of our campuses at our information center after our service. Again, thank you for all that you have given.